you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy. We'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we started this series last week, and um, we looked at um, how Paul is writing this letter to this young pastor, Timothy, who he has left in charge of the church at Ephesus. And he has left and said, hey, um, and so he's writing this letter back to this young pastor, Timothy, and saying, hey, I'm going to encourage you and charge you with some things. And um, this book, 1 and 2 Timothy, really, these books have these letters that Paul has written to Timothy are instructions for the church um, and some things that we need to be aware of and things that we need to walk through. And so um, this morning, as we jump into 1 Timothy 3 through 11, I want us to really, um, uh, we, we kind of have to take a step back and, and look at the picture of the church at Ephesus this morning to understand our text. Um, you know those videos, those, those time-lapse videos? I'm going to show you one real quick. We got that one up here. We've seen those time-lapse videos, right? So this morning we get to kind of back up and we get to see this time-lapse of the church at Ephesus, right? In order to understand what what Paul is going to tell Timothy, we need to back up and we need to look at um, what's going on um, in the church of Ephesus, and, and how it began and, and ultimately where it goes. And so um, this morning in 1 Timothy um, chapter 1, we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And it says this, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promotes speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the glorious gospel, of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And so, so Paul, Paul is going to charge Timothy with some things. And he's going to say, hey, Timothy, these are some things that are happening in the church. And so I think for us, we need to step back and look, as I said, at the church of Ephesus. And so flip over to Acts chapter 19. And we see the beginning of the church at Ephesus. And so we're going to read a lot of text this morning, and that's okay, because we're going to be about God's Word. Acts 19, starting in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into that into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, 
Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And so here's the beginning of the church at Ephesus. In Acts 19, Paul is, is, comes down into Ephesus, and Ephesus was a, was a port city and a massive hub. There were, um, there were trade routes, that, three different trade routes that la- left from Ephesus. Ephesus was this city, this incredible um, metropolis, booming, bustling city that was full of all kinds of different types of people and ethnicities. Um, but Ephesus was home to uh, the, the Greek goddess Artemis, okay? Um, and and, and the, the Roman goddess Diana, okay? That was the hub of Ephesian culture, okay? They, they, they threw all themselves into those things, right? It's the goddess of the goddess of war and the goddess of fertility, okay? And so we have this going on here. And so there's all of these things that are happening in Ephesus, and it's this hub, and, and Paul comes in, and, and, and he finds these men who are believers, and he says, what have you been baptized? He said, with John's baptism. He said, okay, well, let me introduce you to Jesus, right? And they get baptized in the name of Jesus, and thus starts the church in Ephesus. And then Paul begins to, to preach and declare the good news of Jesus all through Ephesus. And there's some pretty incredible things that God is doing. Okay? Listen, because this that's huge. Listen to what happens in verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. This is not Paul's doing. This is God's doing. That's important. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. God's doing, not Paul's. That's huge. Listen. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So, quick history real quick. Jewish um, people would, Jewish priests would oftentimes go make money um, um, from families, from people who, who had, were possessed by demons. They would go and they would make money by performing exorcisms, okay? And so um, what we're going to see in this story is that these men have realized that God is doing something in Paul. It's like, oh, well, let's just, let's just kind of piggyback off of that. There's some good things going on, right? Here's what happens. 14. Seven sons of Jewish high priests named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. But who are you? Who are you? Right? Jesus I know. Come on, church. The evil spirit said, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize but who are you, right? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Preacher once said that 
If you walk into a fight with your clothes on and walk out without them, you lost. I think that's fair, right? So, verse 17, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. Listen, that, that verse is key for us to understand the letter that Paul's going to write to Timothy. Because look, it says this. Also, many who were now believers. These are, these are people who have confessed Jesus as their Lord. Came confessing and divulging their practices. They're doing things that are not in accord with sound doctrine. But listen, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So this is the church of Ephesus. As we Paul comes into Ephesus, these people start coming to know the Lord. God starts working and moving, and, and even believers who have confessed the Lord have now come in and said, hey, we've been doing some things that we shouldn't be doing. Here's all of our magic books. Here's all of the things that we've been following instead of what God has said. And we're going to burn them all. Now we flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And Paul says in verse 3, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. We understand this letter and what Paul's saying to this young Timothy when we understand and see what was going on in the early church at Ephesus, right? They had already been practicing these things that they shouldn't have. And so when, when we look at this text this morning, our aim is simply this, and then we're going to roll through it. The church must confront false teaching with love and truth. Paul encourages and charges Timothy, hey, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine than what the gospel says. That Jesus died on the cross, got put in a tomb, and three days later rose from the dead so that you and I may have life and life abundant when we put our faith in him. That's the gospel. You see, in the early church, a prevalent problem was, especially among Jewish believers, was that when the Gentiles came to know the Lord, they had to, to put faith and trust in Jesus, but also have a list of things that they should do. Right? And, and so Paul's combating this, say, Timothy, man, some of these false things, you've got to stop and you've got to charge them not to teach those things. And for us as a church, we have to stand up against false doctrine. We've got to stand up against false teaching. We've got to say, no, that's not welcome here. Because why? Because God's word is what's authoritative. 
And, and so then the question comes, how do you and I combat false teaching? Well, the only way that you and I recognize or understand false teaching is because we know God's word. Look, there's a lot of false teachers on TV right now. At this moment, right now, there's people in their homes watching men and women on TV that are preaching a different gospel. It may sound good, and it may give me the warm and fuzzies, but that does not mean it is true. Because this is what tells me what is true. Not my opinion, are not what makes me feel good, right? So the only way for you and I to know whether something's true is that we compare it to the word of God. And we say here at Oak Grove, no matter what, we're gonna be about God's word. No matter what, we're gonna hold to the truth of God's word. Well, yeah, but we've always believed this. Sorry, this is what God's word says. It's just the reality. So, so I, I, have, I, have, I have some for you. You ready? Some false things that we as Christians oftentimes believe that are not true. Right? So we're going to throw some of those up there. Right? So there's six of them. God won't give me more than I can handle. How many of you have ever heard that? God won't give me more than I can handle. Wrong. You can't handle anything. And he never once in his words said that he wouldn't do that. He said, I will be with you and I will never leave you or forsake you. But he never said that he wouldn't give you more than you can handle because you can't handle anything. And neither can I. Never said that. But, but it's, a, it's a belief that we hold on to sometimes. And you probably, most of you have heard that in your life, haven't you? Yeah. God gained another angel. This is a tough one. Um, simply because I think a lot of times when someone... When someone passes away, we, we say a lot of things to comfort people because we don't know what to say. And can I just give you a little advice that I learned years ago? Um, that that there's, there's sanctity in silence. And there's power in presence. Sometimes you don't have to say anything, but just be present. Job's friends were great until they opened their mouths. That's the reality. Don't ever tell anyone that God gained another angel because that's just not true. God created angels for a purpose and he created us as humans for a purpose. And when we die, we don't become an angel. There's nowhere in scripture that supports that. None. And again, this is our authority. Not someone's opinion. Not something that somebody said to make somebody feel better. God just wants me to be happy. God just wants me to be happy. How many of you have maybe not said this, but at some point was like, I think God wants me to be happy. 
So I'm going to do this. None of you are going to admit that. Oh, we got one. All right. Let's see. First Peter chapter one. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God never. You're like, Brady, time out. God's desire is not for you to be happy. His desire is for you to be holy to look different than the world. And sometimes separating ourselves and looking different from the world is really hard and brings on some really tough times that we have a hard time being happy in. Because there's a difference between taking joy in something and the emotion of being happy. But God's intention is not that you be happy all the time and that he just wants you to be happy follow your heart follow your heart how many of you have ever said this to like somebody who was making a decision come on there's like okay we got like four of you that are being honest this rest of you are like i'm not i'm not admitting to any of that He's saying those things, and I'm not admitting to that I've ever heard that or believed that, right? Look, we are, if you've grown up in church, if you've grown up, look, these are just things that, that, that a lot of times the world kind of infiltrates the church and says, hey, you should believe these things, and, and we just shouldn't because it's not what God's Word says. In fact, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, because oftentimes when we say follow your heart, what we really mean is follow all of your emotions. And emotions are not always reality. Right? Believe in yourself. You're like, okay, Brady, that's, I kind of, I kind of get that, but I kind of don't get that. Like, I know I'm supposed to have, like, I'm not saying don't have confidence in yourself. I'm saying this, is that we're explicitly commanded to count others more significant than ourselves, right? And the, the, the phrase believe in yourself is self-centered. It says it's all about me. It's all about what I need and what I want and all about me. And, and, and that's the exact opposite character and nature of Christ who we as believers are called to emulate. Because what did Christ do? He counted others more significant than his own self, so much so that he went to the cross for you and for me. So yeah, self-centered about it. And looking in the mirror every day and saying, it's about me. Stop making self-centered decisions when it comes to your family. Six, if, if I'm just good enough, I'll go to heaven. If I'm just good enough, I'll go to heaven. And I, you know, there are so many that, um, that live their life this way. 
in the balance. If I do enough good things, I'll be all right. Because really what this does is this plays the comparison game that we all play. I'm better than Mike. Got that figured out. Right? I, but isn't that what we do? Like, I, I'm better than so-and-so, so I'm doing pretty good. Right? But yet, Scripture is very clear with us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he goes on in Romans 6.23 and says, For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. If I'm good enough, I'll go to heaven. It's a false belief. <laughs> I added this one later after we had created the slide, but God helps those who help themselves. Come on. That's right. God helps those who help themselves. Look. Jesus himself says this in Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty, liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set all liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Listen to me. There is not a single one of us that are not captives to sin. There is nothing you can do to help yourself to salvation. That's just the truth. Can't do it. And so I just wanted to show you some things that, that we as believers have to stand against. And there's tons more. We could spend all day on this of, of things that, that we have as believers, we hear and go, man, that sounds really good. Well, what does God's word say though? We're really bad about this as Baptists, right? Well, this is what we've always believed. Why? Why have we always believed it if it's not here? Why have we always held to it if it's not here, church? This is God's word. This is the only authority that any of you, including myself, should ever have in our lives. This is what's authoritative in our lives. Not the tradition of years gone by. Because somebody once said it. What does God's word say about it? And so we've got to stand against false teaching, but we also have to do this. We have to understand the law. And I'll be quick about this. Listen, um, it, it, verse six, we're going to come back to verse five. Verse five is the hinge of the book here. Listen, verse six, certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good for one. It uses lawfully, if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. And then he's going to list all of these things that, that, that he's doing. But I want, you to, I want you to see this this morning. Not only do we as a church have to stand against false teaching, but we have to understand the, what the law. We have to understand the law. Listen, um, 
the, the role of the law is this for, for you and I. It's to reveal to us who we are. Okay? I've had lots of discussions. Well, Brady, what's the point of the Old Testament when we have the New Testament? Well, it's, it's a great question. The role of the Old Testament is to point us to Jesus, right? And God paints a beautiful picture in all the Old Testament of redemption, right? We've got the sacrificial system that points us to what? Jesus. But, but God, God puts the law in place to reveal to us that we're broken. Look, the law was never meant and set up to solve all the problems. This is part of the reason that, that governments will always have problems. is because so many of our politicians think that the laws that they put in place are going to solve problems. Law was never meant to solve any of our problems. The law was meant to reveal to us how broken we are and in need of the Savior. So God sent his son to die on a cross for you and for me. Stepped into relationship with him and the gap between him and us was satisfied. That's what solves the problem of sin. But the law reveals that to us, right? You shall not lie. How many of you have ever lied in here? All the rest of you that didn't raise your hand, you just lied. <laughs> like, talk about revelation. The law just revealed to you who you are, right? Man, shall not lose the Lord God's name in vain. I'm not going to ask for a poll there. You should have no other idols before me. Well, I don't have any idols in my house. Mm. Let's define an idol. See, that's what the law does. And the role of the law for us, and that's what Paul's saying here to this young pastor is like, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. But, but listen, the law is not for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, which is all of us. Because the law reveals to you and I that we are broken. That's what the law does. And so, and, 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 and as a church, we have to go, you know what, we're going to stand against false teaching, but we're going to understand the role of the law. We're going to understand that, that God's word reveals to us that in every way and on every single day, we are in desperate need of a savior. And it makes me and spurs me to say, man, I want to tell everyone about that. But then we also do this. We do it in love. Church, we do it in love. Listen in verse five, he says this. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That we do this, we, we, we combat, we stand up against false doctrine in love. And we, 
we, we understand the role of the law and we help people see that in love. Now, I, I don't know how many conversations over the course of 20 years of ministry that I've had with people who deal with church hurt, who deal with, with things that people have said to them out of just like being mean. And, and then want to declare, well, well, that's what God's word says. Yeah, it does. It may be what God's word says, but when you handle it in such a way that it hurts and cuts someone deeply, you are a lousy gong, a noisy gong, and a clanging cymbal, as 1 Corinthians 13 says. We are to do this in love out of care and respect for people. Out of saying, hey, I know you believe this. Let's talk through it, right? Let's talk through this. Let's, let's look at God's word. Because most of the time when people come to you and they say they believe this and, and, and yeah, this is what I believe about this. And we're like, okay, well, what does God's word say? You're like, oh, well, I don't need that. Okay, well, here's the deal. This is what's authoritative in my life. And so I would love for us to, to walk through what God's word says about what you're saying. Because this is what's true, not my opinion. And so I think for us, we have to do some looking in our own lives and go, okay, time out. What are some things maybe that I have always believed but may not be in God's word? Because how you combat false teaching is that you know God's word. Maybe that's where a lot of us start this morning, is that we start with a daily commitment to being, I'm going to be right here, and I'm going to learn, and I'm going to know God's word so that I can recognize when I hear false teaching. But also understanding that the Old Testament and, and the law of God is good for me. I need to understand its role in my life so it can reveal further and the deeper recesses. Maybe this morning you're the one that's, that's maybe you said some mean pe things to people. It's okay if you have. I'm not judging you. Right? Maybe, maybe you've approached people without grace and without love. Maybe that's you this morning. I don't know where you're at, but what I do know is that God's word is a challenge to all of us. For us to say, you know what? I don't know that I know God's word well enough to stand against some false teaching. I need to do a better job at that. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, hey, I don't really even know Jesus. Okay. We'd love to have that conversation with you. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And we, this, is, this is what we say here, is that it is an invitation, a time that we invite you to respond to God's word. Look, this is, this, is not, this is not about me up here being the preacher. It's not about Ricky leading the music. It's not about any of that. This is about us as a church, as individuals, responding to God's word. And that's what the invitation is, is we respond to the word of God. We're going to pray, and then we're going to stand. Prayer partners will be down front. Clint will be down front. We would love to have a conversation with you. We'd love to pray with you this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for 
God, for your, your charge and your challenge to the church at Ephesus. Father, that you, um, that you called Timothy to be bold in his declaration. And Father, I pray that we would do the same here at Oak Grove, that we would always stand on the word of God and that we would declare it with all that we are. And it be the thing that we cling to. Now we love you. We ask that you move in this place and in these moments. Now we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.